Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Elizabeth McLeod, the author of more than 50 books for children and teens, including Galloping Through History, Bones Never Lie, and Royal Murder, as well as numerous biographies for young readers of famous figures that include Harry Houdini, Helen Keller, and Alexander Graham Bell. This spring, she looks into six real-life mysteries that remain unsolved to the present day with Vanished, True Tales of Mysterious Disappearances. It's being published this month by Anik Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. In Vanished, McLeod looks at six mysteries drawn from the worlds of art, naval exploration, crime, and more. Among the disappearances she investigates are the lost settlers of Roanoke, who vanished at the end of the 16th century, the treasures of Russia's Amber Room, hidden from Nazi forces and never recovered, three prisoners who escaped from Alcatraz in 1962, never to be seen again, and the 1990 theft of 13 works of art from the Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston. Thanks for speaking with me, Liz. Hi, John. So, you know, you have a really impressive output in terms of the number of books you've published over the years, and they cover, you know, a broad range of topics. I was curious, you know, were some of the mysteries that you explore in this book ones that you'd come across previously in research for other books, or did the book come about another way? That's a really good question. I don't think I'd ever written about any of these before. They're topics that have always interested me. I'm in Canada, and so um, as a child, we all grew up on the Franklin Expedition. So that's the expedition of, in the Arctic where um, Sir John Franklin went out to try to find the Northwest Passage, that famous passage you know, over the top of North America from Europe to, uh, to Asia. And uh, that was something that we'd known about for a long, long time. What I found really interesting with all of these tales was uh, last summer, so that's the summer of 2015, almost all of them were in the news. There was new information on them. So I, I think it just shows that they're ones that have always interested a lot of people. And you mentioned uh, the Franklin uh, expedition, which is included in the book. And, you know, there's certainly plenty of other famous unsolved mysteries and disappearances like those of Amelia Earhart or D.B. Cooper that you certainly could have used. How did you go about the process sort of selecting and narrowing down the mysteries you did discuss uh, in the book? Well, it's funny you should mention those two specifics because I did want to have them in the book, but Annick has already published uh, books that include both of those two disappearances. So they said, no, stay away from them because we've already covered them. So I was going for a variety. Uh, as you mentioned in the intro, you know, there's there's naval mysteries here. There's art mysteries. I was going for that variety. I was also going for a variety of different time periods, too. So we go all the way from the late 1500s, as you said, with Roanoke right up to modern times. Uh, you know, the theft at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Art Museum, that was one of the vanishing mysteries that's still in the news, that they just last summer, they released new footage, uh, video footage from the, a night, a few nights before the actual theft. So again, still, I, I was looking for the ones that I think still capture people's imaginations. Aside from not being able to uh, maybe discuss Amelia or D.B. Cooper in this book, were there any other mysteries that were really close or that, you know, eventually had to be left on the cutting room floor that you might have wished you could have included? Well, the great thing about this book is that I've got sidebars throughout it. So I'm able to to give kids a taste of some of the other mysteries and just introduce them to them. So if they're ones that interest them, they can go out and, and look for them. Uh, you know, one of the ones that comes to mind is, as I said, I, I live in Canada. I actually live in Toronto. 
And here in Toronto, we had a uh, we have a theater that for many many years stood empty. So there were vaudeville backdrops in that theater that instead of what what would happen in other theaters is they'd be painted over and reused. These ones stood forgotten for years, and now they're out on display, and they're they're just gorgeous, and they're some of the few in the whole world. So sometimes vanishing can be a good thing. Yeah, you mentioned those sidebars. I think another one involved uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, some other folks many uh, readers may be familiar with. And, uh, you know, speaking of those sidebars, you know, beyond revealing a few sort of side mysteries and things like that, uh, you also use them to discuss some somewhat modern techniques uh, used to maybe locate shipwrecks and other things like that. Was that a way to sort of maybe approach some of these things from a scientific angle as well as from a historical angle? Exactly. We wanted to to appeal to a wide range of kids. So, you know, you get the story of these actual vanishings, the disappearances. But then if you're really interested in the science behind it, at the end of each of the chapters, there's a whole spread on the science. So we discuss things that, that kids might know, like GPS, like drones. But then we discuss something like GPR, which is ground penetrating radar. We also discuss something called LIDAR, which is radar, but with using light. So trying to tell kids about some of the the really current ways that people are using high tech to discover things. But then with the chapter on the Isabel Stewart Gardner um, theft, uh, we talk about forgeries. If the artwork is found, if it's ever found, they'll have to make sure that what they find aren't actually forgeries. So yes, you can use x-rays, but detecting forgeries really depends a lot on the detective's knowledge and knowledge of the paints that would have been used at that particular time that may not be available anymore or the, the particular materials used. So wide variety of, of information in, in those uh, high-tech spreads. And you mentioned that with all six of these uh, mysteries, you, you feel like they're ones that sort of live in our kind of collective unconscious, maybe on a certain level. Were there certain ones, though, that perhaps baffled you or intrigued you more than the others? Well, the Alcatraz prison breakout, I don't know if you've ever been to Alcatraz, but it's it's quite an experience when you go and you, you walk those those halls and it, it's very haunting. I think that's a, a break. And of course, there was, you know, that, that famous movie Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood, which is, you know... There, it's it's based on on the story. It's not it's not completely accurate. I think that's one that people are really interested in. Maybe it's that sort of Robin Hood idea of, you know, the the commoner or something. You know, the the thief, but who who is a good thief. The thing is, the three men who who escaped from Alcatraz, they were not nice men. They were wanted for murder and all sorts of other things. All they knew was a life of crime. So I don't, I really don't know why they've stayed in, in people's conscious and why on the 50th anniversary of their escape, a lot of people, including their relatives, showed up at Alcatraz prison, hoping that one of the men might show up, all of them maybe, there'd be some sort of sign that they were still alive and, and there wasn't any sign of that. Uh, you'd mentioned that uh, a lot of these stories had been in the news recently. I was out of curiosity, you know, given the research you were doing in this book and, and those sort of news reports, are there any of them that you think maybe stand a better chance of others than maybe coming to a, a definitive resolution at some point? 
Well, with the Isabella Stewart Gartner Art Museum theft, um, in 2013, the FBI announced that it knew who had stolen the works, but they didn't announce who it was. I believe there's a thought that the original thieves were actually, uh, have actually died since the theft. The FBI was able to trace the paintings right up to the year 2000. Uh, not necessarily sure where they are now. I guess that's why they don't want to say, you know, who, that they know who it is and, and give out the names. Or it could just be, you know, a ploy to try to flush the people out. It's it's hard to say, but they seem to be so on that one. And I I think I again I I've been lucky enough to be at to go to the Isabella Stewart Gartner Museum, and if you go there, what you find on the walls where the paintings were stolen are just the empty frames. The thieves left those behind, and it's almost a daily reminder that we've we've been violated. You know that these things have been stolen, and maybe it will make somebody think think more about it and remember something they saw and you know take the information to the FBI. Can you talk a little bit about the the research that went into the book and the types of sources that you uh, sought out? Sure. Uh, lots of books, of course, because as, as an, an author, I, I really appreciate books. And there's lots of material on the internet, uh, lots of scientific studies, uh, especially about something like uh, the Roanoke colony. Um, there's lots of information ab- about the different investigative groups that have gone looking for artifacts, that kind of thing. As I mentioned, too, uh, last summer, so summer 2015, I kept hearing things on the news, either you know on the radio or on TV or on the internet. Um, So I understand you hadn't always uh, planned or intended to be a writer. Uh, What was uh, the turning point for you? I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was always interested in science. I did do a a workshop about writing and editing for magazines, and that got me a job at a children's uh, science magazine called OWL. And it was from that then that I I was approached to write books, and I just found I loved it. Uh, I'm a really curious person. I love to know why people do what they do. And, uh, you know, a, a book like Vanished, in a way, it's it's really great to find all that information. On the other hand, it's frustrating because you get to the end and you don't have any definite closure on it. For for a lot of these a lot of these events that I'm talking about in the book, we really don't know for sure what happened, and we don't know why these people vanished. So because of that, we don't know if we'll ever get any clues about them. Uh, and is it right that you focused on the sciences when uh, when you were a student? I, I did in, in university. My degree is in sciences in uh, biology and, and botany. I love science, I think, because I love the way it can explain so many things. And I, I'm also glad that I'm I'm not scared of, of the science and, and going into the high tech. I, I guess because of that, of that experience and having that knowledge, it really helps too when I'm, when I'm talking to experts um, that I, I, I know a little bit about their world, about their uh, area of study. And I, I feel more confident when I'm talking about them that I can ask better questions and we can have a really good conversation. And do you think that plus the the curiosity that you mentioned are those the do you think the factors that really tilted your writing career more toward the side of nonfiction? I think so. That's a really good question. Uh, if, if you, when you read Vanished, you'll see each of the chapters starts with a little fictional opening to get into the actual story. And I love writing those. I mean, I can be really over the top with them, which, which I really enjoy. But then I, I, I also really like telling a story, but having the science, the actual facts to sort of pin down the story and give it a structure. I find that really satisfying. And then 
when I'm reading it, you know, before I submit it to my editor, and that's when I get told, yeah, everything's all wrong, and I've got to fix this and fix that and everything. But while I'm reading it, before that happens, it's really great to see uh, how you can lead kids from the, the beginning through the end, give them a lot of information, and I hope give them an effective story that makes them want to keep reading. And, you know, with the book, it, it does seem apparent uh, that you're quite careful to include a lot of historical and scientific context for the stories. It seems like, you know, you, you could come to this book not knowing anything about Amber or Roanoke or any of those things and still be able to to learn it. Is that something that's always on the forefront of, of your mind when you're approaching your books and I guess writing nonfiction, especially for, for kids? Definitely. And I've also worked as an editor, so I've helped my authors with that. You just don't know uh, who's going to be reading your book, so what knowledge they will bring to it. And I, I want it to be a really satisfying experience. I don't want it to be frustrating, because if it's too frustrating, kids will just put the book down. I want all of the information to be there. And who knows what experiences kids you know, have had, what they bring to the book. I, I want them to, to feel like everything's there, that they're not stupid if they don't know something, that a lot of people might not know it might need to be reminded whatever so I just I just put it all in and, and my my editor I've had the same editor for most of these books and she's been wonderful um, you know just reminding me of, of when I need to include material I also really like all of the books have a timeline at the end so what I like about that is kids can then look that over see how the stories fit into each other see how maybe the same events might have affected each other and I think it also gives them that extra information of of just seeing, uh, you know, how things connect. Are you working on or thinking about some future books that you might be able to talk about? Oh, I definitely am. (laughs) (laughs) Another 50? Yeah. Oh, I hope. That would be wonderful. Well, almost literally as I speak, I'm I'm working on my next book for Anik. And I wrote a book called Galloping Through History, which is about horses and famous horses that changed history. Right now, I'm working on dogs and famous dogs that changed history. And I love writing about it because I do think, you know, kids love dogs. So I'm really hoping that this will be a way of getting them interested in historical events. Excellent. Well, uh, congratulations again on this book, and thank you again for speaking with me. Thanks so much, John. Once again, I've been speaking with Elizabeth McLeod, whose book Vanished, True Tales of Mysterious Disappearances, is out in March from Anik Press. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.